0: The opportunity is huge. There are these character stars and IP that have audience as uh, bigger uh, or as big or bigger than traditional franchises, particularly television kids franchises. And I wanted to build them the way Disney would build them. I wanted to extend them into all of the areas that kids love, right? It was the idea of bring kids more of what they love from these brands and do that with CP and games and books and all sorts of things.
1: This is the Safari. The Safari is a Around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer, brand, and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and and you, obviously, the listener. Everybody, it is very good to have you back today uh, for this episode of The Safari, which I think has really been one of the most exciting conversations that I've been waiting for for some time now. Uh, So we're going to be speaking to uh, Chris Williams, who is the founder and CEO of Pocket Watch. And Pocketwatch is one of those incredible businesses that sits on originally the YouTube uh, ecosystem, which was building brands and businesses within the YouTube universe, but now has expanded beyond that and he's very very much focused on the youth uh, segment particularly and actually manages some of the largest properties on the planet which many of you parents out there will know of Uh, yet what you don't know is that they rival some of the biggest incumbents on the planet uh, both from view time watch time every other kind of time Um, and you know chris this is not his first rodeo so he's you know been doing this for a very long time. He actually built Maker Studio, uh, where he was the chief audience officer as well. So it brings a huge amount of experience to talk to us about the future of media, the changing of the guard, maybe in some uh, instances of that media landscape, and how that ports over to uh, consumerism. How does that create brands that are uh, fueled by content uh, and then come to life around the world in many different channels of distribution. So it's the merchandising of content, uh, an, an area of the, of, of the business that I adore. Um, and so without further ado, let's get started. Chris, thank you so much for doing the safari with me.
0: Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here.
1: And so, where are you currently sitting? You, you're you're in still in relative confinement somewhere in California.
0: Yeah, I don't get uh, out much, uh, as many of us uh, are experiencing. So, yeah, so I'm coming to you from my home office in uh, the hills of uh, uh, Los Angeles, well, where I reside.
1: Well, I, I want to get straight into this because uh, there is a lot to unpack here. There is a universe that is very well known to most people under 30 years old. And I believe there are many executives in uh, the wider consumer retail landscape that are still not completely clued into uh, something that you know a lot about. Could you sort of give us a, a little bit of an intro to Pocket Watch, the assets you manage and own, uh, and then you know that sort of side of the industry, which is quickly emerging as being hugely important?
0: Sure. Well, you know, first and foremost, Pocket Watch is a new kids uh, entertainment company where we look to YouTube for stars, characters, and IP that have already generated massive audiences that we can turn into giant global kids franchises that rival Mickey Mouse and SpongeBob. And it came to be with my uh, passion for audience. You know, you pointed out that my title at Maker was chief audience officer, and that's because I've always been the guy who, you know, says things like "never judge the audience." Uh, I um, some people say content is king, some say distribution is king. I say audience is king. I really follow audiences, and what happened at Maker was in the period probably about five or six years ago, I noticed something. First and foremost, in my house, right, which many parents will relate to, where my kids, uh, you know, at the time were probably you know five and eight, would plop down in front of my beautiful big screen television and just fire up their iPhones to watch YouTube videos, and then fortunately being at Maker and also Disney as the acquirer of Maker, so I was there for that uh, acquisition and stayed on uh, post acquisition. Uh, I really got to see it bear out in the data. So I saw a massive surge of audience around kids' content on YouTube. At the same time, I saw a incredible plummet of audience on kids' linear television. You know, Disney Channel is yep. down 80% in the ratings in the last, you know, decade. Um, so. It wasn't. It didn't take a genius for me to see where they were going. And I guess, really, what I was thinking at that time is, you know, the opportunity is huge. There are these character stars and IP that have audience as uh, bigger uh, or as big or bigger than traditional franchises, particularly television kids franchises. And I wanted to build them the way Disney would build them. I wanted to extend them into all of the areas that. Kids love, right? It was the idea of bring kids more of what they love from these brands, and do that with CP and games and books and all sorts of things.
1: Yeah, the added uh, interesting point there, I think, is that some of these uh, creators, as they are called in YouTube land, are um, young, young, young adults, young adults or young children, even uh, with parent guardians um, who are helping them guide their passions and in, in their careers. Could you give us some of the metrics because they're eye popping in some instances?
0: <laughs> sure, um, you know I will give you the YouTube specific metrics, but now they've actually because we've grown them, uh, you know, off of YouTube onto other platforms and into other areas, it gets even bigger. But just on YouTube alone, to kind of put it in perspective, uh, if. Ryan Ryan is a, a, a an eight year old boy who has uh, really become the center of a franchise called Ryan's World that extends across many many different platforms, but started on YouTube. And uh, just on YouTube alone, if Ryan's main channel, which is now called Ryan's World, it was originally called Ryan Choice Review, were a television network for kids it would be the largest in the U.S. by the metric of uniques reached per month, mm-hmm. right? That it reaches probably about 75 million kids just in the U.S., not to mention it's a global channel, so it reaches you know, 130, 140 million globally. And then you know, one of my favorites is recently we've partnered with a six-year-old girl in her family named Diana uh originally from ukraine um and uh, but english speaking and and uh, spent some time in the u.s uh and diana just to put it in perspective in august alone her channels and she's translated into nine different languages at this point on youtube just on youtube five billion views on youtube just in august um massive scale uh last quarter Uh, Her channel reached somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 million people globally, uniques. Uh, And so these numbers are not only huge, but they're consistent. And that's another differentiation from traditional media, where theatrical releases are certainly the centerpiece of of lots of kids' IP, but they kind of come with a big explosion, right, Uh, all at once. Uh, Television comes in seasons uh, and and these IP and characters and stars, they're on 24/7 with new content five days a week or more, uh, and um, are always there engaging with their audiences.
1: I think you once told me that Diana may well be the single most watched human on YouTube potentially. Based, I believe
0: on- she is. Yes, uh, you know it sometimes goes back and forth with another uh, set of kids named Vlad and Nikita, but. Um, you know, that, that, that she's, she's, you know, currently the, her main channel is a third largest channel on all of YouTube, not kids channel. And that's behind channels that are not, not people. They're, they're companies.
1: So everyone loves to talk about direct-to-consumer. We've talked a lot about direct-to-consumer on this podcast on numerous occasions, including brands that dub themselves direct-to-consumer. And they're they're brands that sell products over the internet, e-commerce. So this is another disintermediation uh, of a different kind in media land, whereby individuals, uh, in this case young children and their families, decided to disintermediate the typical process of becoming an actor or a performer, uh and basically uh, open sourcing themselves onto this big platform which has the it's the second largest search engine on the planet so you can find everything there youtube and and effectively built these empires that were built out of their backyards correct
0: correct 100% and i also think that that goes to the lives that these uh child stars lead and how drastically different it is from what adults like us traditionally associate with children's stars right you know think about it this way these kids get to work with their families all day right they have no uh they never have to get rejected in any sort of audition or be part of any sort of hollywood machine they get to do it all from home or home studios and um It really is a totally different uh, thing than child stars. They're doing what they want, right? So the parents that we work with are uh, incredibly um, – they place the highest value on their kids' lives so that they're – prioritizing things like socialization, family time, and education ahead of business, right? And they're able to do that because they control the schedules, they control the production, they control everything. And you know, it puts these kids in a much different position than, than what we traditionally think of as, as, as child stars.
1: So when you see these, these wonderful young people bringing to bear their uh, content, but then it translates into consumer products. And we yes. have some, some knowledge of how that works. We, we have happily, we work together in some of this uh, stuff. But could you explain how important they become to the toy industry, for example? When Ryan and many of his contemporaries show up at the, at, at the toy fair, I mean, they end up being the greatest uh, uh, sort of kingmakers uh, of all these different companies. Talk a little bit, a bit about what it feels like to show up at these fairs with these children who aren't just there to... Play because, of course, they're kids. They love to see all the other toys there. But they're also there as ambassadors for home, whole companies and licensees.
0: Yes, that uh, that is accurate. And I think you know, it started with Ryan in particular, who his original name of his channel was called Ryan Toys Review, and he actually never reviewed toys. It was really imaginative toy play, uh, and it was like him playing with toys and. What started to happen was that toys that he would play with would start to fly off the shelves at retailers. And as his audience grew, that became more powerful. There became uh, an opportunity to partner with those third-party uh, toy marketers uh, in ways that uh, uh, would would enable Ryan to uh, actually now get paid for that value that he was providing. Uh, and then ultimately, what we really recognized, that it was, well, what if they had their own toy lines that they were able to create that same momentum for and that same sales momentum? And that was a big bet that we made in back in the summer of 2018 with Ryan. And the most important part was getting through a tremendous amount of friction that exists uh, continues to exist uh, in the current the ecosystem, right? Sometimes I describe it as, you know, platforms like YouTube and other social media platforms—they're frictionless. Anyone can upload a video, garner an audience, and even get paid by that platform, like YouTube, without ever talking to another human being. Everything else about building a kid's global franchise is has tons of friction real people with real biases that determine whether products get on the shelves at places like walmart and target or you know television shows go on the air or great game developers who might lean into your ip and we needed a fabulous team to actually get through that and so stone newman our cro you know convinced me very early on uh to let's build orion's world consumer products brand of our own uh we went and convinced some really smart, experienced people at places like Walmart um, to get on board and try it. And to their credit, they were absolutely kind of the first that really pulled the trigger on this. And, um, you know, the rest is history. Uh, that year when we launched we the Ryan's World brand, with only five licensees, by the way, at that point, Five, you know, manufacturing partners that we were licensing to, and and the toy company that we had to beg to do it. And frankly, I told them at Toy Fair I was buying, going kind to, of, you know, this business would buy them houses and cars, and they'd have a booth that was five times bigger, and all that's come to pass. But we've done, you know, that year Ryan's World became, according to NPD, the third largest new consumer products brand in the world. Just in the, it was only in the U.S., but in the world, just behind Fortnite. And, you know, last year we did 200 million.
1: Fortnite being the uh, computer game.
0: Yes, the massively popular uh, computer game. Uh, And we, you know, last year, Ryan's World, uh, you know, increased to, you know, probably 80 licensees and did, you know, 200 million in retail sales globally, you know, I think we're in over 20 countries, 75,000 retail stores. Uh, This year, we've grown to over 115 licensees, tens of thousands of products, uh, even more international expansion. We should do well over uh, 300 million this year at retail uh, just on that brand. Uh, And that really laid the groundwork for us doing this more broadly with other incredibly gifted and large creators.
1: We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. So let's unpack the so institutionalized biases that you referenced earlier. Yeah. And I find yes. it r- really remarkable that, you know, it takes t- so much time for people to change their ways of thinking. And if you think about an executive, and I'm not going to point fingers at any group of executives, but let's say a senior level executive who has decision-making authority at a big retailer or at a big toy company or at a big uh, retail fashion company who has to decide whether or not to to use uh, your, one of your brands. Um they grew up in that industry knowing that if you if you use Disney uh, or Warner or one of these other platforms or you would be you don't get fired for for getting a Disney license right um, Never. It's like in technology you don't get fired for hiring IBM right and that's why and you don't get fired for hiring McKinsey or you don't etc etc So you're presumably constantly up against that, Uh, uh, that struggle. But ultimately what's interesting to me about it, unlike the other examples I gave you, is that the consumer is going so quickly in the opposite direction that at some point you get left behind big time and you do get fired for not making that decision. Um, So I I think I've sort of led the witness too much maybe in this question, but how is it in your view that that a leading executive listening to this conversation should view uh, not just Pocket Watch and your creators, but this whole uh, area of uh, content media land that might be overlooked by them in their prior careers?
0: Look, I, I think generally human beings are creatures of habit and routine. And I think that is probably the enemy that these executives face is the thing that worked Yesterday is the thing that they're really good at, and the thing they want to keep doing. Um, but uh, my experience is follow audience, and that w- in media land will always take you far. And what you you can't bury your head in the sand and deny the ratings plummets of kids linear television in favor of digital platforms, particularly YouTube. And you have to look to these platforms for your next source of uh, licensed IP, because that is where the audience is. And the audience is what means something. You can develop all the smoke and mirrors you want when you're selling in from a business to business perspective. But the reality has to come down to audiences. Do they Are they familiar with this brand? Do they have a passion for this brand? Are they part of a fandom that will um, in our case, where a uh, uh, a young person will convince their parents to buy something. And you really need to look at those areas where audience is growing um, as as your top priority for how you would think about uh, the future of your licensed business, especially, because the licensing timelines are a bit long and by the time you get around to launching the ip uh, launching the consumer products around that new tv ip yep. the audience is going to be even lower
1: yeah 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 and so i mean when you think about the institutionalization of the disintermediation of this talent getting to its consumer its audience to use your your term um don't you think that when you think of youtube it's it's institu it's 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 built itself with a, the hallways uh, are all day long thinking about how to grow and how to build and how to nurture all these kinds of, of talents and as we all know they they're very big um, but things things change things morph things evolve and you know it would i would be remiss not to talk about tiktok and ask you about that today especially as it's very much in in the news every day there is. um So short form, the um, 15-second-ish, 15 to 30-second videos, which you find on TikTok, now everyone has sort of followed suit, um, you know, Instagram and others, um, and I believe um, YouTube potentially as well. And um, what is your take on these short form videos whereby ultimately uh, to to an old person like me, it feels like it's sort of um, a waste of time because it's just... Just this sort of avalanche of just stuff happening, and it's this feed happening, whereas there is genuine interest in long, longer form educational elements um, and even character building within a different format. So, do you think TikTok will become a long format, or what's your predictions around a TikTok and its and its medium, and then where they may go and others like it?
0: I'll start by saying, you know, TikTok very much like vine before it and and many of us remember vine and how twitter mismanaged that to its destruction which was a little bit sad but that i'm not sure why but tiktok is incredibly good at bringing real talent to the top through its algorithm in a way that other platforms uh do not do that as quite as much and so um real talent tends to bubble to the top i am a big fan of tiktok we have started to look at tiktok for talent character and ip partnerships um with the knowledge that those folks on tiktok who are uh gaining success Will also extend into mm-hmm. other platforms where they are able to do um, more long form content that would enable some of those things that you are speaking about, including character building. But I think the reason, part of the reason that the Talent rises to the top is because the creativity necessary to build character and tell story within such a short amount of time is a true sign of talent. And, uh, you know, it is definitely, look, we will start by doing some smaller things. You know, one of the advantages I have is I also have a uh, the number one TV show on all of television for kids, a show called Ryan's mystery Playdate that stars Ryan of Ryan's world. And I can use guest stars on there and start building relationships through that uh mechanism that may lead to other things and uh um you know i can break news but we've we've uh recently just shot an episode of play date with uh one of the largest tiktok families on youtube uh, i mean on tiktok and um i hope that leads to uh other things and we'll see and we'll see where
1: that goes. You've talked about following audiences two or three times on this converse, in this conversation, in our work in the consumer product side of the house. And of course you're in that too, because you're, yep. you're licensing to those businesses. Uh, but we always talk about following the customer, you know, once upon a time you'd follow the shopping bags and now you follow data and you follow uh, insights of all, of all sorts. How do you, um, today, with all the touch points you have, how do you think about mining information and, or turning data into information, and how do you train your colleagues to, to be audience-centric?
0: Well, one, it is more of a challenge in the kids' space, as it should be, because we follow specific laws like COPPA, uh, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, we follow all the policies on all the different platforms with regards to data collection. And so what we really wanna do is forge a uh, direct connect- connection that would allow us to collect data with the parent yep. of the, of the uh, kid who's a fan, right? And that is a different exercise. And frankly, it's a code that is not cracked quite yet by anyone that we're working really hard to crack that code. And I do think it starts with building the footprint to me is the most important thing. So building the brand awareness, the franchise development, building that franchise out so that it is, uh, um, there's an awareness to it uh, that 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 is really high globally. And then what you can start to do is to create um, more direct to consumer f- direct to parent let's call it focused applications so for example an education app that where you're taking this valuable ip that you know your kids love and you're giving it to them to help them through curriculum actually uh, educate themselves and, and through stem you can create Direct to consumer commerce, where you're utilizing platforms like Shopify and other platforms to build direct to parent platforms for buying and get gifts and gift giving uh, and products. You can launch direct to consumer applications for content, particularly SVODs, uh specific to a brand. You know, think. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, literally a niche at spot service around a specific talent or IP. And um, those give us a path to uh, data collection and um, uh, direct connection to the parent that we believe will be incredibly valuable uh, in the long term and something not a lot of other people are doing.
1: It strikes me that I'm listening to you that your industry, let's call it the media side of the industry, is better at following the audience than the consumer products companies are following the consumer, which is the same thing at the end of the day. Um, you know, one of the things that everyone tries to say in CPG land is, you know, how. In fact, I wouldn't say everyone. There is, there are a few groups that have understood that if they can harness the power of their brands to themselves become media companies, as opposed to doing the reverse, which is what you effectively do the red I guess, of every brand um, that they might be better off. Um, If you were advising a brand, any, just a brand who's, you know, could be a toothpaste brand. It could be, it could be any kind of brand. It could be a fashion brand. What would you say is a a way to think about audience that would allow them to think more like a media company
0: than a CPG business? I'll start by saying the kids business is very nuanced. So talking broadly and saying now we're, we're, now we're, We're talking more broadly, particularly about, you know, general audience or adult audience. It's hard to deny the success of these direct-to-consumer commerce brands. Um, and I do think my playbook would be a little different if I were not focusing on kids. And what I would do is I'd probably I would come edit commerce first. And from that direct relationship. The content can come. I, I'm a big admirer of. I'll give an example of a of a very hip, cool, a little bit LA brand called Chinatown Market, where Chinatown Market creates, you know, these uh, drops and limited editions. Right? It's 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 really the hip and cool brand, and you know now they're building out you know they've always done it a little bit with instagram but now they're really blowing it out like okay here's the content to come across it. so they're starting with commerce and going to a a more full investment in media and i actually think that if i were starting one today i'd probably do it in that order uh i think the commerce part enables you to have a level of fandom where someone has already given you their credit card yeah and once you know that (laughs) Getting them to watch something feels a lot easier.
1: Yeah, that, that's a very interesting analogy. So, what is next for for, for Pocket Watch? Um, you know, the 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 business itself is something that I find to be one of the most exciting businesses in our industry. Period. Um, the the focus on the young customer uh, that 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 sort of the manna from heaven, as it were, that so many companies are trying to get their hands to around or understand these young people who are an enigma to many, uh, to many marketers who are um, not so savvy in this area. Um, You have um, obviously in some ways a plethora of of talent to choose from because uh, ultimately uh, there's new talent growing all the time all over the world. And as you just said, uh, Diana comes from, did you say the Ukraine? Is that what you said? originally yeah if originally um so what's next for you guys presumably you're drinking from a fire hose so how do you keep it all straight and, and what should we look forward to
0: well one is uh, i think as, as this is a new category right i think about this as a new category of kids franchises right tv and film right and even gaming to a certain extent let's go to tv and film this is a new one digital right and from that perspective, I'm very invested in the entire category growing and I don't need to own the entire category. I just want to be the Disney of that category. What that means is having focus, right? A very small number of brands that are the biggest, right? That drive the most value. So if I have the most market share with the fewest number of properties, that's kind of where I want to be. So we're very focused on the very biggest of these stars, characters, and IP coming from YouTube and running them through our playbook, which also changes. So that's that, you know, which also changes is as, as audiences changes. Like you mentioned, TikTok, our next big one may come from there. Right. But um um so it's growing that side. And then from a business side, you know, if you think of us in many ways as kind of a mini Disney. Right, and I have a lot of Disney blood in me. They've acquired, you know, two two companies, one of which I started, and one of which I take great pride in having been a, a, a huge part of its success in, in Maker Studios. Yep. Um, I learned a lot. I went through the University of Disney basically as an executive. And uh, what what I believe is that we also need to continue expanding how we reach kids. Right, you want to reach kids everywhere they are. So yes, now we reach them through mobile gaming, we reach them through consumer products, we reach them through all these new OTT platforms, whether it's the Roku channel or Pluto or uh, Amazon Prime Video or Hulu. Like we're reaching them everywhere, extended way outside of YouTube. Right. The next big one for me is is theme parks, and my theme park is very different from the way Disney would think of theme parks. I don't need real estate in Orlando or Anaheim to build a theme park. I need virtual worlds. My theme parks are gonna be in Roblox and in places like Minecraft and eventually potentially places like Fortnite, wherever the audience is. That's where I'm gonna build my theme parks.
1: There we go. Chris Williams is going to build theme parks inside of Ready Player One. It's it's, it's, it's <laughs> You've heard it here. Um, listen, I, could, I know, Chris, that I could um, speak to you all day long. Um, Chris Williams, the CEO of Pocket Watch, thank you for joining me on the Safari.
0: Thank you very much, Marty. It was a pleasure to be here.
1: If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do if you're enjoying the safari please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry and please also don't forget to subscribe and like it Until next time